0: All right, Aaron Werner here, and excited to have uh, Dr. Kyle Clouty with us uh, to talk about uh, how to read a a scientific paper and what goes into that. Certainly, a Big topic of discussion uh, the last couple years, more so than I, I can ever remember. I know as doctors and going through school, we've talked about them a lot, but I think the layperson now uh, has heard uh, of studies and is more aware of studies and, and you know, as have all of our news medias. Um, but uh, Kyle, before we get into that, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and the good life.
1: Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on this. It's uh, fun to talk about these things. I know it can be a little bit heavy heavy of a topic once in a while, but it is uh, super important. But yes, Good Life, Good Life Eye Care is the practice that I um, started in Omaha, Nebraska. We have two locations, and uh, one in in Omaha and another one in a small town about 40 minutes away across the border in Iowa. So uh, lots of fun that we're having here. Good Life is the old Nebraska state motto. That uh, they, like when you drive into Nebraska, the sign would say Nebraska dot 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 the good life. And I think for me, like what we try to exude in our practice, that basically means uh, just small town hospitality, like just knowing, uh, knowing your patients really well, being really approachable, transparent um, and uh, hospitable. So we try to uh, exude that. That's kind of our culture uh, here is uh, is talking about the good life. So it's kind of fun, kind of a fun thing awesome. to use.
0: I like it. So diving into into how to read a study because they're they're super important and as, as scientists they guide what we do or they should um, and, yes. uh, and the evidence should guide our our decision making. Um, and you like to talk about how we don't make decisions for patients. We are are their their coach or their their guide, helping them through eye care and healthcare and whatnot. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, I think we all say we want to to follow the evidence, uh, but. Reading the studies and knowing what the studies say uh, help us make sure that we're following the evidence when we're uh, recommending to uh, treatments to patients. Um, and then as consumers of healthcare, uh, because not everybody listening to this is doctors, and even as doctors, we we consume healthcare. We want to make sure that what uh, we're being recommended to um, really is uh, something that that we subscribe with and follows our philosophy uh, as parents and consumers of healthcare and, and patients ourselves. Um, anything to add yeah. there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of my, the reasons why I became so interested in this, I guess the main thing that I am interested in is just that question of how do we make, how do we make a really good decision for our patients? Uh, and I think a lot of times when we think about our patients and where they're at, the type of patients that we see, a lot of them or like half of them maybe um, are patients where you can just explain uh, what you're thinking and they will just look back at you and just say, you're the doctor, you tell me what to do, right? Uh, which I have, actually, in my Iowa practice, smaller town Iowa practice, I have way more patients that will say that to me, where they'll just look back and I'll kind of go through this elaborate explanation. They'll be, they'll just look at me and just say, I don't know, you just, you know, what do I, you tell me. And then in my more West Omaha practice, more suburban, uh, the mindset that I have is more of, of I'm helping the patient make the best decision for themselves. So I'm more serving, I think of myself more as a consultant consultant or a coach where I'm presenting the information, uh, the risks and benefits uh, of the treatments, and then I'm helping them make the best decision uh, about their eyes uh, to help them uh, be most consistent with their priorities and their preferences. Uh, and one of the things that... Uh, I, you know, you look back at the last, you kind of mentioned at the start, two last two to three years, we've been kind of inundated in, unfortunately, in a lack of uh, reading the sources, I would say. <laughs> uh, we've been inundated with a lot of press coverage and a lot of really, like we talk about misinformation and, and uh, whether you're, you know, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, social media, news organizations, promoting studies, and really when you take that information, uh, just, uh, flat out or straight from that source or from that news organization, it's really easy to be misled. If you're Mm -hmm. not going in and you're reading the information for yourself, you're not going to the original source, going to the scientific paper, and then having a framework for how you're going to assess that information too. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing how in the last two to three years, we basically have, you know, we're unfortunately in our country right now, we're very tribal. You know, we tend to be um, pretty uh, angry at each other, um, whether you're on the left or the right. Uh, And unfortunately, we've we through COVID have essentially made specific treatments be Republican versus Democrat. You know, the vaccines and the masks tend to be more Democratic treatments, and uh, like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine tend to be more Republican treatments. And that's just so silly uh, the way that that has happened. Uh, But uh, how we break through, I think, and how we can, as optometrists, do a much better job with our patients to kind of break through that is, let's just have a framework for going to the original research articles and reading those, ignoring the how maybe an expert that we like, or ignoring how maybe uh, a magazine article or a news organization reported the information, and kind of putting that to the side and actually reading the paper ourselves. I think it's is unbelievably important right now. Yeah, because,
0: couldn't, you know, couldn't just, agree just to move more. Getting past the sensationalism, let's get into the evidence and, and what we're really talking yeah. about. Uh, because yep. I think some of the, the studies, um, and certainly the one we're going to reference today, um, is really really exciting. And so when you know the uh, the, the outcomes and what the study is showing you, um, it, it, you can something to get you know get excited about and communicate with uh, with patients to really help them. Yeah, so what uh, what study are we going to kind of use today as we walk through this this method of how to analyze and read a study?
1: Good question. So we are going to break down. Uh, you know, study from 2019 is from the Optometry and Vision uh, Sciences Journal, the Academy of Optometry Journal, and it is the, a three-year randomized clinical trial of sight lenses for myopia control. The lead author is Paul Chamberlain. Um, like I said, 2019 article. So it's a really pertinent article. It's uh, if you're in primary eye care, if you're seeing, seeing a lot of kids. Uh, if you, I mean, that should be probably the overwhelming majority of, of optometrists listening to this, that, uh, this is applicable to So, yep. uh, this is, you know, regardless of what your vendor has said or your rep has said, or regardless of what you've seen in the, uh, in, you know, in the trade journals, um, I would more not to insult them, but I would more like to call them trade magazines, not necessarily journals, but. Um, regardless of what we read there here's the study let's just look at it and extract the information that we need to help our patients make the best decisions so so when I do that so I've got the paper in front of me right now um, you can kind of read through the abstract and that's good that's super helpful to kind of get an overall idea but at the end of the day what I'm trying to do is like I'm trying to break it down in order to like I said help my patient make the best decision and I think one of the reasons why, we and myself included, we tend to get uh, intimidated by reading a, uh, a a trial or a journal article, is because we get caught up in the stats or we get caught up in the statistical issues with the paper. You know, we we are we don't really want to read uh, about uh, p values and hazard ratios, and those just like trip us up. So we just kind of throw it all out. Like I can't understand that. I'm just not going to read it. I'm going to read somebody else's interpretation of it. Um, I like to just, I mean, we won't get into that today. It is helpful to kind of understand those a little bit, you know, enough to get by. But you don't need to understand those things to to, to really understand if a paper is applicable or helpful mm-hmm. or if something works or not. Uh, and I like to break it down in basically four different four different steps, four different questions that you're asking when you're looking at the paper. So I'll just go through those four here, four right now. The first one is what type of paper am I reading? Okay. Number two is um, make like comparisons. So, um, you know, we'll get into the details of that, but wh- what are they actually comparing? Uh, number three is understand the chances that are involved in the treatments. And four is, is there consistency with this information or this data and my own experience as well as the data, uh, other data out there on similar treatments? So... It's those four. Like, if you just kind of think through that grid of four questions, it's going to give you get you 90 percent of the way to really understanding if this is a good paper or not. So let's dive in. The so, like I said, a three year randomized clinical trial of my site lenses for myopia control. We'll 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 put a link in the show notes uh, yep. at the end here. But um, so, if I'm looking at this, I'm going straight for. Um, to understand, I'm going to go straight to understanding what type of paper is this really? So the reason that's important is because we all have probably seen, we remember from that, you know, 20 minutes or maybe longer hour course in optometry school, or maybe we've read it online of the pyramid of evidence Mm -hmm. and where the bottom of the evidence, the higher you go in the pyramid, uh, the, the better the evidence is, or the higher the quality of the evidence is. So if you can kind of visualize that pyramid, the bottom is going to be more like the case reports, individual case reports. And then uh, moving up is going to be your more like you can do like uh, case controlled or you can do a a bunch of case reports on the similar disease put together. Uh, On top of that is going to be observational data. So it's like these huge, like, you know, you know, several thousand or tens of thousands of people in a cohort that they essentially just draw correlations with. They draw associations between certain things within the cohort. Uh, and then on top of that, even better than that, is the randomized controlled trial, and that's kind of our gold standard. But even on top of that, then, is going to be a review or the meta-analysis where they actually they take all the RCTs, they put them together, they apply specific statistics to them, and then they extract out uh, how good that intervention really is based upon a bunch of different RCTs. So even better, you know, we, we want more information. You know, we it'd be so great if we had all these RCTs that we could put together, right, and actually create the, a gigantic RCT. And that's essentially what a, a meta-analysis is. So um, so that's that's going to be even better. So for us here, when we look at this paper, we're looking at a randomized controlled trial, a randomized uh, clinical trial of site lenses. That's in the title. So we know that The higher up you go in that pyramid, you know, where this is the gold standard type of a a trial or of a a paper, the higher up you go, the less bias there's going to be in this information. And the more generalizable we can take this information and and apply it to our our patients. So that leads us into that first C, which is, uh, like I said, make like comparisons. So we all tend to avoid this All the time. I mean, I do it all the time too. Sometimes it's uh, it's we go into we want to skip the we we can read the introduction and then we'll read the results and maybe the discussion. We always ignore the methods or the study design, but don't skip the study design. Um, For example, like uh, let's see here. I think it's the third page of the study here. I'm looking at table one. Is the inclusion and exclusion criteria? You have to know like you have to know. Is this group of patients? Is this group of uh, test you know, subjects, actually patients that I'm going to see or actually patients that I'm going to work with someday, right? Mm -hmm. If they're not, then the paper isn't very valid for you. So like this paper here, you know, between uh, all patients are between 8 and 12 years of age, Um, they uh, were all corrected to 20, 25 or better in each eye. Uh, Their spherical equivalent refraction was between, you know, 0.75 and minus 4. Or -0.75 -4 their stigmatism was uh less than or uh, greater than or less than or equal to m- minus uh 0.75 and then their aniso was less than 1. So when I look at that I I see okay this is actually this is a group of patients that I see uh all day every day. You know I see a lot mm-hmm. of kids in my practice. So yes I'm going to see a bunch of 8 to 12 year olds uh in between like basically ametropic and -4. So this study is for me, very good. When this goes wrong is when we have uh, there's one there's an example that I can share real briefly there's a there's a trial that is really prominent in our industry or a lot of times we hear people speak about an anterior sag or cornea uh, it's called the scut trial It's the steroids for corneal ulcer trial and we t- it basically showed us that if somebody has a bacterial uh, corneal ulcer, that it's it's okay, or probably best to wait um, about forty eight hours for for us to start steroids on that patient. Or at least that's that's one of the the, um, the you know the applicable you know, uh, pearls that we can derive from that study. And I think we've and that's really gone out. You know, like a lot of people. I remember learning that in optometry school. Or I remember reading about it. I remember, and I've heard it. You know. Talked about and lectured on a lot uh, in the past several years, but what we don't realize, if you go back to that study, the 500 patients that were included in that study, the overwhelming majority of them were farm workers that were their the corneal ulcer was derived from a foreign body, um, from foreign body, and usually in I think majority, the majority of them were vegetative matter, and only eight of them, eight out of the 500 were actually were actually contact lens patients. So to me, like, I can't really take that data. Once I found that out or once I realized that about that paper, it's like, well, that's not really applicable to me. You know, maybe it is for some rural rural practices, but I have mostly contact lens patients that are the ones that have the corneal ulcers that I got to deal with. So I'm not really going to use that to determine when I need to, you know, uh, uh, treat with a steroid. So it's super helpful to understand that. That makes sense. Uh, next one, then, uh, that we're looking at is understand your chances. And this is where we get a little bit into the weeds. So I'll try to be as uh, brief and uh, helpful as possible here. But this is where you got to look at the data, the actual data in the study. And you you need to look at, um, and a lot of times, the study itself won't give you these exact numbers. You kind of have to pull out your pen and paper and your calculator and, and calculate it yourself um but what i like to do is i like to understand the chances of a patient having a significant outcome because at the end of the day that's what we're uh that's kind of what we're doing right that's why we're making a decision for a patient so the number i always want to go to or the the value that i'm after is what's called the number needed to treat so the number needed to treat is essentially if i were to treat x amount of patients um, or how many what is the amount of patients that I need to treat for one patient to um, have some sort of an outcome? or uh, for example, like the um, ocular hypertension treatment trial, um, I the number needed to treat for that particular study is I need to treat 16 patients for one patient to um, have their you know, the risk of converting to glaucoma reduced. So the same thing goes for uh, for any other study because you can actually use that number. If you calculate that number, you can actually apply that number to uh, educating patients better. And you can actually correlate or compare that number to other treatments that we have in our profession and other treatments that uh, other practitioners are using, like prescribing statins or metformin or anything like that.
0: Nice. So you want to uh, to, to really help uh, by knowing that number needed to treat. What you're looking for is wanting is how to guide a patient in making the decision on on what treatment option they should go for.
1: Yes, absolutely. So one way to one way we can uh, look at that. Let's just look at the study here, the, yep. the MySite study. When I'm looking at uh, there's figure three, and one of the most important paragraphs is I think in I uh, think page. Four or five. Uh, I don't have it exactly in front of me, but basically it says that if you look at the numbers, it says in the treatment group, so in the MySight, you know, trial, they essentially compared 8 to 12 year olds where they put uh, half of the patients on the MySight lens, and then the other half of the patients, they put on a placebo. So I think they, they used just a, a one-day ProClear lens was the, was the control or was the placebo. And then they compared mm-hmm. them over uh, three years to see which ones uh, progressed and how much they progressed. And one of the most helpful pieces of information to me is like in the treatment group, uh, after 36 months, 18% of those patients progressed by one diopter. Whereas in the control group, the, the proclear one day, the non-mycite lens uh, group, 62% of those patients progressed by one diopter, you know, so Well, over half of patients, and that's what I could tell a patient there. It's like that's why I like to look at that information that way. Is I could say, you know what, um, I could present it as say 100 patients are um, given the lens and 100 patients are not given the lens. I could say about 18 of those patients, or or flip it around, uh, 82 percent or 82 patients did not progress by that one diopter, whereas. Um, you know, 62% or 62 patients in the other lens that weren't treated by this lens uh, progressed by one day after. I think that's, that's more helpful to us than just talking about like, uh, you know, oftentimes papers will quote the relative risk reduction um, or the absolute risk reduction, which is a little bit better. But oftentimes when we see a paper quoted in the paper in some sort of magazine article or in the news, oftentimes the the relative risk reduction is, is reported, and that tends to be like uh, overemphasized and kind of magnified, and it's usually a little bit misleading. So I tend to try to steer clear of those numbers if I can. And then if I were to calculate the number needed to treat, essentially um, I'm just taking those two numbers, which is the difference. I'm taking the absolute risk, which is between that 18% and the 62%, and I'm basically doing one divided by that. Okay, and that's your number needed to treat. So, in the case of the mysite lens, uh, the number needed to treat to prevent um, one patient from progressing one one diopter of myopia uh, is I just need to treat two point three. So, the number needed to treat is one and two point three, which is an insanely low number. Yeah. So, it's really really good, and that's why it's super helpful to uh, to share with pa- patients when it is a good number like that.
0: So. Nice, and to put that into perspective, what are some other treatments that that we know the number needed to treat? Well, we can calculate it on on anything, but what are some other common treatments that we see in healthcare and medicine, and, and you know their their relative number needed to treat? Just to put that two point three into perspective.
1: Yeah, great question. Like for like I said for oats, it's about one in sixteen. Uh, for a statin, it's anywhere between one in 8, one in eighty and one in one hundred. So you know we have patients. It seems like. In, anymore these days my patients any patient over 40 45 is on a statin you know so and they you know you hear people joke about how they need to put statins in water and just have everybody treated but the reality is is the number needed to treat is actually one in 80 or one in 100 so if we're that heavy on the emphasis on that type of treatment or that positive on it look at look and see some of our treatments actually are so much better than that and not not just the my lens but when you start looking at this number at a lot of our treatments in our industry, we start to realize, like, wow, we actually have a lot of great treatments and a lot of ways that we can really help our patients uh, reduce the risk of, of poor out- outcomes and, and intervene and, and, and treat and manage conditions really well. Yep.
0: Absolutely, and the way I describe it to patients is, uh, and it might be simple, uh, but uh, but it works for me, and it makes sense for me, and, and seems to make sense for them. Is that what are the chances that I'm going to buy a winning lottery ticket? And uh, if I've got a one in 100 chance of, of buying the winning lottery ticket, well, if it's the, the Mega Millions and there's a you know 100 million or a billion in there, I'm, I'm probably going to buy a ticket. Uh, but uh, but it, it certainly is much more exciting to buy a ticket when my odds are. are one and two point three, and I'm going to buy a lot of those tickets because it, it just makes sense. The chances of a positive outcome happening are much higher, um, and and it's worth the risk. In this case, the lottery tickets. My risk is only you know financially spending money, um, and that may be some of the the risk of uh, or the negative side effects, if you will, of uh, of of any treatment. You know, spending money. I've got to wake up earlier in the morning to put contacts in. Maybe I've got to put them on my kid in the my uh, trial uh, for statins, there's certainly health uh, side effects, um, and so what's what's as a patient, what's my risk tolerance in uh, in trying to get that good outcome? So that that lower number needed to treat is is like buying a not guaranteed or getting a winning lottery ticket, but you're much you're more likely close. to get one. Pretty darn yes. close, yeah, yes. absolutely.
1: Yep, yeah, it's really just like when we talk about a, a certainty and uncertainty, it's just reducing the, the uh, uncertainty there uh, of your outcome, and that's. I mean, when you kind of think of big picture, I think a lot of times what one of the reasons, I think there's a lot of other reasons, but one of the reasons why I think sometimes we hesitate in offering specific treatments to our patients uh, is because we may not actually believe that they work or we don't have a really good um, understanding. It's not necessarily an understanding of how they work, but really we just, we may not be sold that it's actually going to help or not. And when you when you put it into the terms of like, uh, I I guess I'll go back. At the end of the day, we don't know. There's no, there's really no way of knowing whether, Mm -hmm. and there's no way of being certain that the treatment or our intervention into something is actually going to help them or not. But when you look at the data yourself and calculate the numbers like that, it actually, um, it takes you kind of off the hook in terms of being a, you know, I think, sometimes we feel like we're salespeople, we're trying to push people into certain treatments or something like that. And you're just frankly giving them the objective information like, hey, this is what the study did. And this is the reason why we put the study together like this. And this is what the information shows. And then you can actually weigh in like, hey, and honestly, like this is one in two or one in three, but there's treatments like, Maybe a treatment. Are you on a you know maybe not aspirin or a statin, but there's treatments that you're probably on that have uh, a lot less likelihood of reducing the risk of a of a poor outcome than what this is, you know. So I think it equips you just with more confidence in in what you're prescribing, uh, and then sometimes you're going to calculate these numbers and you're not going to be nearly as certain or confident in what we've been prescribing. You know, I won't mention any specific treatments out there, but. Um, but some that's that's the value of of looking at the research yourself so that you can you can know uh for your own patients and for your own you know a, a confidence of helping patients and prescribing the way that you'd like to, to to guide patients
0: absolutely awesome so we've got uh so so getting back to to how we um we walk through the the uh reading a clinical study, we, we look at what kind of study it is so we know where to place it on that hierarchy. They all have yep. value, but where do we put it? Um the uh, and then I'm gonna rec- recall your uh, your last uh, three uh, points two, three and four your three C's. So um you're comparing, right? How did how do the, the patients in the study uh compare to, to my patients and in, in my practice um and then understanding the chances. Right. And that's that uh, understanding the, uh, the the number needed to treat and what are the chances that, uh, that this is going to work for for the patient. And then what's your, your last one?
1: So the last C is consistency. So is this information or the results of this study consistent with what I've seen already in my practice, in my patient cohort, um, which you got to be a little bit careful with that um, because you can be biased. But uh, also, is this con- is this information or are these results consistent with what other studies have said as well? So, like when I look at uh, this my side data, uh, and then I just compare it. Is this consistent with treatments? Obviously, this is not the same treatment as atropine, or the same treatment as orthokeratology lenses, uh, or the same treatment as uh, other you know daily lenses that are uh, similar to or have or um, within that same treatment realm, uh, but. When you do look at it at the end of the day those the numbers within this study are very similar to and are consistent with uh, treatments across the board kind of around that 40 to 55, 60 percent uh, effectivity. So um, you know if you if you get some information where it feels like this this trial is showing that this intervention or this treatment is a game changer then that's probably something you need to question and mm-hmm. uh, and, and look and see and maybe um, uh, look elsewhere or ask for more data or, or even just like, wait for another study to come out, wait for uh, another analysis or wait for somebody else to interpret that uh, before you, before you look into it. Or if it doesn't even fit, like one of the things that, you know, we, I think we won't get into the dream study, the omega-3 study that was done, but there's some, there's an inconsistency there. Uh, There's a number of factors that cause this, but there's a little bit of an inconsistency with the results of that trial with, some of the results of other trials that have been done. Uh, and if you just, there's consistency, inconsistency between the results of that trial with what other practitioners have kind of experienced in their practice on the value of omega-3s as well. So that doesn't say that what the study uh, has found is wrong, but it may mean that there are some comparisons that are different. There may ne- mean that... Um, that, uh, like in the DREAM trial, that uh, specific treatments should have been excluded or included uh, with the cohort. There may be just uh, other confounding variables within the study that uh, we don't really know about. So it's just helpful to always have that in mind, like, okay, is this data similar to this data? And if it, if it all does seem consistent, then we can probably take it and run with it.
0: So, perfect. And that really plays into the, the art and science of, of medicine. Right. is, is uh, everything you know uh, all the evidence pointing to to one new thing not to say that there isn't a game changer that comes along because that certainly does happen but it needs to be uh, reaffirmed that uh, that it truly is a, a game changer and uh and then the art is is how we work with patients you know I'm, I uh, I'm jealous I don't have patients that just blatantly trust me they like to uh, to question, and uh, even more so after the last couple of years. Uh, but that's a good thing. Questioning's a good thing. We we should be questioning, and because uh, questioning doesn't mean denying. Questioning means just finding out more information and getting those those consistencies of uh, confirmations of consistencies, so that we can take better care of ourselves, our patients, and uh, and and progress medicine and science along. So. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, uh, Kyle, really, really appreciate walking uh, you walking us through this. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, if you've got any any more questions, um, go back and, and, and re-listen. I, I encourage you, uh, if you are not doing this, uh, looking at the study rather along with us as we go through, uh, find that link and re-listen to this, and go back and and follow the uh, the discussion. Through that study, um, if you don't like math or your calculators, uh, there are number needed to treat calculators that you can find online. That uh, where you put in the, um, the the control group percentages and experimental group percentages, and it'll generate that uh, number needed to treat for you. Um, but uh, let us know your thoughts. Let us know uh, what uh, what other discussions uh, you'd like around this and understanding studies and, uh, and clinical research, because once you get past the, the p-values and all the, uh, the stat stuff that I think some of us probably avoided in college, um, clinical research is exciting. It's pretty cool to see mm-hmm. what, uh, what they're studying, what they're looking at, and, uh, uh, and, and the new evidence that's coming out in medicine.